0: you're listening to the personal mastery podcast with ari bagat interviewing ceos and executives who are performing at the highest level in their industry working purposefully towards a vision in alignment with their values and in a state of constant learning about the self In this episode of the Personal Mastery Podcast, we have Jay Kim, who is the co-founder of Hydrant. Jay and his co-founder Matt started Hydrant with just a couple hundred dollars in the bank and grew into an eight-figure brand. They recently raised $5.7 million without a pitch deck, and he's gonna tell us how they did it, as well as his entire journey from starting the brand from scratch to now a fast-growing brand. There's a lot of content in this podcast. I'm super excited for you to check it out. So without further ado, here's Jay. Jay, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. And you, you've been living in New York for quite some time now, correct?
1: Yeah, I, I haven't left the city uh, even when the, even during the peak of the, the pandemic.
0: Wow. Well, yeah, I, I've noticed a lot of people kind of left, uh, but you're still in New York strong, so. Uh. <laughs>
1: Holding the, the fortress.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you started out, um, you went to uh, business school, correct?
1: That's right, that's right. I was at Penn. Oh, Penn, okay.
0: <clears throat> uh, and for, uh, what did you study there exactly?
1: It was business school, MBA. Yeah, oh, we okay. have a decided concentration. I was only
0: yeah concentration is what I meant.
1: Yeah, I was only in three weeks before I I left, so um, so can't even really say I went there, but I was I was really there moment momentarily.
0: (laughs) Oh okay okay. And what you learned there, like after like running your business now, do you think it's like on par with what business actually is?
1: Um, you mean like like. Like if I think about what I learned there during the first three weeks. Yeah. I don't think I can, you know, claim that I went through the Wharton curriculum to, you know, make a fair statement about what they offer. So I'll definitely avoid making that statement. But what I can say is I think for me, while I was there, um, you know, I realized it wasn't the best fit for me because, um, I went there thinking that I was going to, you know, run a business while I'm in business school, start a business. And, and most of the people that I met were interested in kind of making a career transition to consulting or banking. So a lot of them were talking about getting an internship there. Um, and the interests were just not kind of aligned. And I wanted to be in an environment where people kind of share the vision of starting their business and kind of going through the, the, the the founder journey. Mm
0: -hmm and then from there you uh, started consulting
1: no, no no so so let me give you an overview background on myself so okay. um i started my career as a consultant at mckinsey Penn was 2 years ago mba so that oh, was 2 wow. years ago so yeah yeah so um i started my career as a consultant at mckinsey and then spent the rest of my time in private equity uh, before i went to business school and, and then I was in business school, uh, trying to start a hydration business. And, and I was sort of like stuck with the product development process. Cause you know, like I explained, my background is all kind of focused on the quote unquote, like the business related experiences and nothing to do with science or wellness. Right. Okay. And a friend of mine connected me, um, to my current partner, John. Who went to Oxford, studied, you know, science, and he already had a identical product that i that I've been trying to make, but he didn't have the skill set that I did, right? He didn't. He was trying to still trying to figure out how to raise money and think about the the the, the strategy to grow the business. So we chatted and we instantly clicked and realized uh, we had a complementary skill set, and we decided to you know kind of become a co-founder, and that was basically three weeks
0: into the business school oh okay so, so I started hiring
1: after that not not, oh, not, okay. <laughs> not going to consulting after
0: that yeah <clears throat> yeah I was, I was gonna ask if you majored in hydration or something glad to know like you weren't in like science or anything like that so nah, was that like nah. a personal problem that you were trying to solve or was just like a business case that you kind of saw
1: yeah so I, I've I will, I've always been a a guy where if you open up my kitchen cabinet it's like filled <laughs> with supplements and I would try all these different types of ingredients that are supposed to be you know energizing or body hacking and um, and I've been a, like an avid user of energy drinks and, and, and coffee and a friend of mine who was really into body hacking was was asking have you tried hacking hydration? And I was like, what do you mean? Does that just <laughs> mean like drinking like a, a gallon or two of water every day or something? And he basically says similar, but you should first start your day with electrolytes. So I was okay. like, Gatorade? He's like, oh, you know, like, sure. But, you know, there are more products out there with, with less sugar. It just, it just happens to be that none of them taste good. But mm-hmm. it helps you to feel better to uh, and kind of reduce the uh, reliance on caffeine. So I, I tried it for about a month or two, like drinking a lot of water with electrolytes, starting from first thing in the morning. And I started to feel a lot more energized in a in a natural way. I started to have less of that kind of peaks and drops of caffeine. So I was thinking, well, I definitely feel better, feeling much healthier. Um, but I really enjoyed the experience of drinking these electrolyte products. Gatorade was way too sweet and um, sugary. A lot of these other hydration supplements were trying to taste like gatorade but you know failing to taste good um so i was thinking why don't i create something that is optimized for um like a lifestyle where you can drink it every day kind of treat it like a vitamin and then you can also enjoy the experience so mm-hmm. that was a personal problem that i was trying to solve and and i was kind of failing to nail the product development piece mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I recently also became some sort of, like, biohacker. I have, like, so many supplements of just, like, super food powders. Yeah, Yeah. that I try out. But one thing that sucks is drinking a gallon of water every day. Like, it's, like, that's, like, a A lot lot of water that you have to carry anyway. And if you're, like, working and doing all this stuff, like, where are you going to carry, like, a Mm -hmm. gallon of water? Mm -hmm. So that's why, like, I'm guessing Mm -hmm. most people don't even drink a gallon of water every day.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't even enjoy the, the plain water taste and some people do. Um, but a lot of the, a lot of our customers don't. So, um, hydrant makes kind of drink a lot of water, uh, a very enjoyable experience. So we, we focus a lot on the experience aspect.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I ordered the product before too. Uh, oh, nice. I think I ordered the lemon, the, uh, I think I ordered like two twenty packs or something. Uh, and actually, like, you only, you don't have to drink that much water. And actually, like, tastes pretty good.
1: Yeah, it makes you want to, like, drink more water, right?
0: Exactly, yeah. And then the, right. there's, like, a, some sort of, like, aftertaste, like, lemon taste. That's actually, like, really good, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, for all of our products, we flavor them with real fruit juice.
0: That's oh, where you wow. get
1: that the real, real uh, fruit flavor.
0: So when you met your co-founder, so he was in the science, uh, you're more like in the business. Uh, How did you guys like end up starting to work together? Because I think he started like the brand before, right? He started on Indiegogo, et cetera. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's um, honestly, it's a um, pretty interesting experience. And we we tried to like not disclose that in the beginning (laughs) because when we were going to fundraise and like a lot of these... Traditional Silicon Valley investors were like, you know, how long have you known your co-founder? Was he your childhood friend? Have you worked with him and in your previous job? And typically, you know, everyone will say, I've known, you know, so and so for 10 years, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But we've known each other for three weeks. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think think basically what happened was we were struggling independently, right, on our own. You know, for me, I couldn't even get the product right. So I've been constantly just like wasting time trying to figure out do I want to increase this or decrease that? Like what's the ideal nutritional fact that I want to get, blah, blah, blah. And, and John kind of nailed that, but had basically $500 left in the bank account. Wasn't really doing much in sales was, and was sort of like trying to still figure out how to raise money from angels versus fun, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think we were both tired in terms of like working alone and, and and facing the problem. And we were just thinking, why don't we just outsource each of our weakness and rely on each other, right? And, and then it's become a team team. So that's how we just started to work together and ink the paper and just kind of execute. It was really weird. It was a very weird process in the beginning, but yeah. a few weeks in we we clicked and um, it was pretty natural.
0: Yeah, even like for like a product that people have to ingest, did you guys have to like go through like FDA or anything like that?
1: I mean, there, like we, we, there are things that we have to be compliant for FDA in terms of manufacturing process, um, claims and, and, and package labeling. Um, so there are components where we have to go through, um, but it's not like as rigorous as a drug per se.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you launched the brand, did you only launch direct to consumer or did you also like chat? We did. Like, try- okay. we, did.
1: We, we first started to sell our product on our website, drinkhydrant.com. A couple months in, we started to sell on Amazon. Um, and with, within a year we started to sell in retail we basically did a lot of things that were sort of against the playbook, mm-hmm. like the playbook, like the Castro Warby Parker playbook is don't go to retail nor Amazon for, you know, you, as long as you can, like, there were so many investors, you know, they were asking, are you planning to go to Amazon or not? Look at Warby Parker, blah, blah, blah. You should start your own store. <laughs> um, You know, before you go to Amazon, um, yeah. I mean, we, we, we didn't want to like follow a certain playbook. We wanted to solve problems in the best way we can. We wanted to approach problem with independent thinking. And, um, we're for, fortunate to say that we, um, got rejected by the investors who were looking for playbooks and was yeah. able to source capital from investors who are welcoming independent thinking.
0: And we're going to talk more about that, but talk to me about like the launch of, hydrant with your co-founder like were you guys like like tens of thousands of dollars after a couple of weeks or were you guys like surprised oh no.
1: we well we we um we were definitely surprised by the difficulty of the launch at the beginning yeah. <laughs> we're doing like thousand dollars per month not tens of thousands like a thousand dollars uh maybe two or three thousand and um and, and, and this was basically Q4 of 2018, right? Cause we launched the business around September of 2018. So for September to December, it was very slow. We were like drew, doing guerrilla marketing by blasting in different MBA group needs, you know, telling them about the startups, telling them this is great for, um, general hydration needs, your workout and also for hangover, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we we're, we're trying everything and it wasn't really working out. And we also had one product that was also an issue. We only had lime, nothing else. So um, starting from 2019, it's, it started to grow much more quickly. We introduced a second flavor, grapefruit. And a lot of customers who were sick of lime started to come back to try grapefruit. And as we started to add more flavors and, and, and test different you know, paid marketing channels, such as Facebook and Google things, uh, how to start to catch fire. It started to grow really quickly. And then we, we had some PR news coverage and that, that that's kind of where everything kind of jumped.
0: Mm-hmm. And talk to me about like your ideal customer. Cause like, it can be kind of hard to figure out like who your ideal customer would be. Cause like everybody can drink water, right? Yeah, so how do you yeah. even like nail down like your ideal customer?
1: So honestly, our customer profile is
0: the whole is, world. Is,
1: is very the whole, whole world. Like, I, would, I would, say the core, you know, customers are the typical customers you would think of who are active and who is looking for something healthier than traditional sports drink to consume less sugar. Um, um, that's better for you. That's made with better for you ingredients. So that's like the core customer group. Uh, And then after that, beyond that, there is a group of customers who are kind of struggling from the uh, morning grogginess and they're uh, treating the symptom with hydrant because a lot of time um, that morning grogginess comes from dehydration. So that's a a big group of customers. And then the last kind of like big chunk of customers um, would be the the customers who are struggling to uh, drink enough water in a day because they don't like the experience and they want to kind of spice up the experience with um, drinking water with hydrant.
0: Mm -hmm. Now going from a couple thousand to seven figures, can you talk about uh, some of the things that it took to get there? Like some, maybe like top three main things.
1: Yeah, I think, I think um, product innovation was big because we started to see real compound growth as we started to see our, our customers repeat. As we acquire customers and, and a lot and a lot of our customers start to repeat, our, our growth started to kind of feel. About 50% of our um, <clears throat> transaction volume um, comes from subscription. So, wow. um, yeah, so it, it, that definitely helps. And then I think the second piece is kind of through a lot of iteration, like finding the product market fit right? Trying all different kinds of talking points through Facebook influencers and all these different channels. Um, we're able to find a way to kind of scale the business very quickly. And it's kind of that flywheel effect, right? We find, we require a lot of customers through various channels that that's, that's optimal for us. And we see a lot of customers, you know, repeating whether through a subscription or non-subscription, but, but constantly repeating off of one-time purchase um that has been the biggest impact
0: Mm -hmm. now i remember seeing some of your facebook ads too uh and i know you and your co-founder are very involved in the ads can you talk about like why you uh, get yourselves and your stories involved with the brand and how sure uh, that has worked out
1: so i'm less so involved with the ads So john used to be uh, very much involved with the ad um i think it's because of two different reasons. So we always talked about Oxford science, Oxford scientists who wanted to put a face into that to make sure that it's real. So that was one. And second was, John is great at explaining science in a way that is simple and it's fun to listen to. So we were leveraging that in, in, uh, in the beginning days. Now we, we spend most of our investments in terms of creative on either UGC or um, just product product photos with like reviews and, and basic call outs on the benefits of mm-hmm. the product. Um, yeah, so not anymore uh, in terms of relying on myself or my co-founder to be in the ads.
0: Nice. Now you guys recently raised uh, $5 million, right?
1: So we, we raise our series a, um, we announced our uh, raise in Series A recently, and it was five point seven five million
0: yeah okay now, at which point like did you guys feel that you needed to raise money? was that to like um, just keep scaling the growth um, or what what was the idea behind that
1: yeah so here's how I think about the evolution of the business, so on the product innovation side there there are um there is a lever of expand expanding the product lines and, and, and continuing to produce more uh, flavor options within each line. So that costs money. So we're, we're going already going through that and wanted to um, increase the pace of that. So that was okay. one piece. Second piece is we wanted to expand our channel um, in terms of distribution channels. I know like the traditional playbook would be to rely on direct consumer for as long as, you know, you can, but I think for us, we love retail. So we love retail as well. Um, so we wanted to expand our retail channel very quickly. And for a business that is completely relying on single channel versus multi-channel have a different uh, a pro- team profile. So we wanted to make sure that we had resources to support that go to market strategy, but also had the, um, right team members to fully execute that. So mm-hmm. for those reasons, uh, we decided to uh, raise money when we when we thought it was the right time to do so.
0: Okay. Now when it comes to raising money, a lot of uh founders want to know like what does it take to uh raise money, especially like Series A, five point seven million dollars. Uh, that's right. a lot of money actually. So can you give like a couple of tips that really helped you? Uh was it the product? Was it you and your co founder?
1: <laughs> so I think um first thing is for you to realize or, or do the research to be be aware whether your category is a category that investors care about or not, right? I think even if you have a you know impressive background and even if your product is outstanding mm-hmm. If your category is extremely competitive and and if investors don't really see that as a category with big potential in the, at least in the near 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 future you'll you're probably going to struggle to raise money very fortunately i think <clears throat> um even though now our our category has gotten fairly crowded but um when we were starting out, um, our category wasn't that crowded from our perspective. There are only a handful of existing players that had, that kind of had the big name in the market. And uh, investors were looking for uh, a few horses to bet on within the category. So we had a lot of inbound interest. So, so we already knew that this was a category that was interesting to VCs. So that's, that's the one piece, like knowing um, how attractive your market is. And second piece is figuring out who are those investors who are interested in this category, right? Because you could go to thousands of VCs, right? Like, or family offices. Um, but only a handful of them will be very excited about your category and about your background uh, and your product. So it's doing the research on who would be the investors that would understand this category so that you can have a um a seamless conversation about the, the vision of the the business so so we did that So we had an inbound interest and then from talking to these investors we were, we were able to figure out who are the type, appropriate types of investors we should be continuing to network with and after kind of finding that group of investors um, we started to kind of share our plan for the year and and kept updating them on our progress to uh, hitting those milestones and, and when we told them that, Hey, we're, we're planning to raise money on, on month XYZ and, and demonstrating that we were, you know, beating our targets and hitting our milestones on time. Um, a lot of investors actually reached out to us several months before our original plan to raise money, kind of wanting to you know, do a deep dive in the business and, and kind of kick up the race. Um. Because a lot of investors who want to be competitive with with their deals, right? So we were very fortunate to kind of raise our Series A without a single slide of PowerPoint. Um wow. Yeah. So so that's crazy. That's <laughs> yeah, that's how I would think about the raise. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's, that's amazing, man. Like people always are working on the pitch decks and like having so many meetings. Like it's really great oh, that we yeah. guys were able to do that without like we're
1: very lucky. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's awesome. Now, I want to get more into, like, the website uh, and marketing side of things uh, since that's, like, the area that you're focused on. Now, talk to me about, like, the design of the brand and how it's really helped uh, in terms of performance because you guys have, like, really amazing packaging, a really nice website, emails, etc. Can you talk about the role of design in the brand of Hydrant?
1: Yeah, I, I think it really comes out to a couple things. I think one is um, we wanted people to, given that it's a wellness brand and it's something that you're putting in your body, we wanted to make sure that it conveys, conveys premium, right? Mm -hmm. If you're putting something in your body, it better be something that's really good for you. So um, that was one thing that we wanted to nail. And then the second piece is when it comes to marketing, I'm sure you're familiar with this when you're doing, you know, paid marketing, the, the products has to really pop. There are certain packaging and brands that are, you know, beautifully born for Instagram. And some of them are just not right. It's it's, it's it's tough. Um, so the color scheme and then the font, and then the way we designed the product was really also optimized for that. Um, so from an acquisition perspective, I think, um, those elements played a big role into it, kind of creating the trust and, and, and making sure that people are enjoying purchasing the product and, and consuming the product. Um, and I think in terms of uh, uh, a retention, um, like the design of the website and like the seamless of the UI UX of the website and, and, and our SMS email flow has played a huge role in, in, in optimizing our retention metrics.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to cha- channels for growth, uh, you guys are doing Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, email, text. Uh, are you guys also doing Google?
1: Yeah, yeah we're also doing Google. Unbranded, okay. branded search, Google shopping.
0: Now, what, what's like the most interesting thing that you found that people are like searching
1: for that uh, you were able to capitalize on? <laughs> I wish I had a more interesting answer for that, but it's very yeah. like straightforward like people it's just like looking for hydration hydration related drinks yeah mm, or heat okay. recovery maybe there's something that's a bit interesting yeah
0: mm, okay because sometimes like brains end up uncovering like different new keywords or different things like that that they never thought like people were
1: searching for
0: and they end up really capitalizing on it
1: i would i would say maybe um specific flavors oh okay sometimes you know um we see oh they're looking for something specifically related to orange and you know, that search is crushing for our orange related flavors. Um, those are some of the things that we didn't, we didn't expect.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, after setting up DDC, you said you guys went to Amazon, like after like a couple months, mm-hmm. can you talk mm-hmm. about what role Amazon plays uh, in your omni-channel approach?
1: Yeah, I think, um, Omnichannel um, plays a few different roles. Like One is um, reaching audiences that will be difficult or more expensive for us to reach uh, when we're a single channel player. So That's one. Two is um, creating a very convenient experience for a customer to come back. Not everyone would want to be on a subscription, right? So, um, They could be familiar with our business through our Instagram ad, and they make their first purchase on our website, but they could always want two days, like free shipping, you know, or one day shipping. So they rely on Amazon for that, you know, they could be having a party like three days out and they want to make sure they have the product and they could order on Amazon or they want to have party like today or they're going to work out a lot. You know, later in the day, they'll go to their nearest Walmart or Whole Foods to, you know, grab Hydrant. So um, from our perspective, it's, it's really to reach the audience that's really difficult to reach as a single channel player and to make sure that we create the most convenient experience for customers to, to be a, a lifetime customer for hydrant.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, do you have like your only like your key products or do you have like your entire product collection? Uh, on Amazon?
1: That's a, that's a great question. So in the beginning we had all of our products, but as we are launching new products, such as sugar-free um, immunity or caffeine variety pack, um, we have not introduced them to Amazon. Because you will see some impact on your um, acquisition metrics. Um, if you open up your distribution channel, cause some people will look at the ad and decide to make a purchase outside of your website. Um, so we wanted to maintain certain number of SKUs exclusive to our website so that um, th- those metrics are not too, too impacted for uh, measuring return investment purposes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, cause like sometimes when I go on Amazon and I order like one DTC product, I try to grab like all other DTC brands that I might be interested in that are also yeah. on Amazon. And it's usually like for convenience, Uh, You get the two day shipping and it's always uh, better than like ordering on an actual brand site. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, But I know like a lot of brands try to also, because like when you order on Amazon on your side, it's not too good because you don't have all that customer data. So are you guys like, have you guys tried like different ways to try to like get those customers from Amazon to also come back to direct to consumer where it might be more profitable or any, anything like that?
1: so it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty dangerous line because if amazon quickly finds out that you're trying to like steal customers away from amazon you'll be banned yeah, from the store. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't we don't try to do that um too much but if customers ever visit our site and and realizes that certain products are not available on amazon they wanted to try those and they will they'll come back um what some of the other brands do that i think Is interesting is to differentiate their product offerings on Amazon from their website by offering different pack sizes. So um, you can have a different pack, like a pack size, on Amazon versus your website to decide which site you want to have a lower entry price point. I've definitely seen that before. Um, Most most of the time, I've seen Amazon product pricing being uh, cheaper than their website
0: interesting now you started like with a single product and now you have about like what six plus products yeah
1: right? yeah a yeah. lot more what,
0: but yeah yeah so was was the idea to like just like increase aov or what was the idea behind like expanding your product line
1: so it's a few things. i think the one is um to first focus on creating the best enjoyable experience for the customers. And it really, and that experience comes from one discovery of like new product and two, um, having, having, you know, a variety of delicious, you know, options. Right. I think at the end of the day in a beverage industry, if you don't have great taste, you don't have a business. So, um, like you could have the most delicious lime flavor, but a customer who just doesn't like lime, period is not gonna, you know, enjoy that product. So we wanted to kind of have enough uh, types of flavor options so that we can accommodate all customer types. So uh, um, we had a lot of products and flavor options for that purposes. And I think the second piece was there were definitely some group of customers that we we weren't able to hit um, mm. because of some of the limitations of existing products. So for example, um, the, the keto groups or the, the, the complete anti sugar group. Um even though our core products will only have like three grams of sugar, you know, even three gram is too too high for them. So mm-hmm. um we have no sugar added product that's basically zero gram sugar. And for that customer group, um this is a perfect product to uh to reach that audience.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me like any any gram is too high for me too. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just try to avoid like just like sugars in general. But it's always, it's always really hard because like everything nowadays has sugar in it. Do you eat fruits? Yeah, I do. But that's like natural sugar. I'm talking about like artificial mm-hmm. sugars. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned like the product that uh, for like a beverage product, the taste is the most important part. Now talk oh, yeah, to me about like, getting yeah, getting someone who never like, you know, tasted like hydration products. Like how do you even convince them that to, to even buy it in the first time? Do you make it like a is there like an old, like a like a deal for like a first time purchase? Um, so how do you get them to like sit sure. behind their computer screen and decide to like
1: buy hydrant? So a lot of people ask this question, and my answer is first you don't focus your energy convincing that customer you focus your energy convincing the customers who are already familiar with this type of value prop or who is already interested in this value prop um uh, that's what you first focus on for at least until you're doing like 100 million dollar sale like that's what i think um and and then you 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 hope to reach the customer through convincing storytelling through either your advertising campaign or aggressive referral campaign so that his or her trusted friend will be, you know, convincing them through their experience of drinking the product. Um, cause I think like to try to like focus on that customer group, it will just only increase your customer acquisition costs. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Cause like if someone has never like looked into like hydration, Uh, or even they don't know like you should be drinking this amount of water anyway like how would you even like convince them like
1: (laughs) but think think about it this way like you you could have the best cbd product in the world but yeah if you're someone who just is not really interested or not open to cbd no matter how much money you pour in you're just not going to try it or or like it it will only it was it will take you like thousand dollar worth of Facebook ad or whatever XYZ ad to convince that person to change, change their mind. Right. So, um, I think the right approach from my perspective is to focus on the customer who would be interested in this value prop. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think earlier you mentioned that was it 40 or 50% of your purchase over your revenue comes from subscription, correct?
1: Correct. Yes. Yeah.
0: So how do you, from that first purchase, uh, is there like a specific tactic that you're using to get them to come back, or is it the product that just like sells a subscription for you?
1: So I think a lot of people are trying to be tactical about that, um, and i'm I'm sure you know tactical initiatives will help, mm-hmm. but I think the most important lever is product. Your product has to be good, um, and it has to be optimized for subscription that's one piece. And um, the way the product's being introduced needs to speak the language that this is for subscription. Um, now, if you're introduced to hydrant as a hangover drink, then you only drink it for hangover. Unless you're drinking alcohol all the time, it's, it wouldn't really make sense as a subscription. But if you're introduced to hydrant as something that you would drink for uh, a workout or, or first thing in the morning and in, you know, then it could be a regular drink for you, right? So I think that entry point on how you discover the product is, is highly important. And then, you know, beyond that, there are different tactics such as SMS and, and cohort driven email tactics, you know, mm-hmm. could help you with retention. But I think um, how the product is designed and, and um, how you discover the product is the most important part of the retention.
0: Yeah. Like marketing is just perception. Right. And, then uh, to get that, uh, and the perception might get you to get that first purchase, but the product is definitely going to determine the second purchase, especially for the be- beverage, right? Like mm-hmm. if you drink a beverage, you don't like it, there's nothing that you can say that's going to get someone to come back.
1: Um, yeah. So it, it's the type of problem that you're solving, right? Is your mm-hmm. problem a recurring problem? And is this a solution for that recurring problem? Or are you trying to solve a one off problem with this product right mm.
0: now you mentioned channels like text or email so is there like a like um a way that you're collecting that data is there like a survey that you have them fill out or how do you even like segment based on like what like the entry point
1: um I mean we have a lot of these like different types of flows but but the way we think about it is um we always tie everything back to our cohort analysis, and then okay. we would have a benchmark in terms of retention metrics per each cohort. And uh, we'll we'll see, like for each cohort, uh, based on different flows, are they hitting the retention metrics that we're you know aspiring towards? And if not, like what do we need to fix and change? What or what do we need to introduce in addition to this? Um, and that's how we make adjustments on those flows
0: hmm. makes sense now you guys are also in retail and recently uh, i would say over the past one to two years retail has really become more profitable for a lot of direct consumer brands with a lot of direct consumer mm-hmm. brands setting up retail stores um, and that is because of the rise of advertising costs on facebook instagram and pretty much all channels yeah uh, has that been like the same case for you guys where retail has become a very profitable channel?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say retail has always been like profitable to the level that that just has been. I think uh, non-retail channel has just became more unprofitable, right? Compared mm. to a couple years ago, yeah. <laughs> right, if you think about it. Um, I don't think re- retail has necessarily became more profitable. Um, so... The answer is yes, retail is very probable for us because there is no CAC, but of course they, you know, that channel will take up more in a gross margin compared to direct consumer business. The way we think about our direct consumer is a a payback, right? How quickly do we pay back on a contribution margin basis Mm -hmm. in terms of retail is um, how much upfront revenue can we capture with. With that X Y Z contribution margin, and then can we sustain that, right? In in in, in those channels, um, so it's a very attractive channel for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think of like hydrant, like I-, I can think even like doing like some some sort of like flagship store where people are just like <laughs> like a good experiential store where people come in like t- taste like different like water or like do something like really cool like that uh that could like help even like build uh like strengthen the relationship with like customers uh is that something that you guys have ever like thought of like some sort of like experiential store
1: right that that's what a lot of vcs would like love for us we would absolutely never do that (laughs) because we are because we are very um uh roi focus like return investment focus and yeah um it's a different story. If someone gives us like $50 million to play with, but um, we're more focused on thinking about every dollar we invest in, how much return is it generating? Um, And that types of experiential store will take a very long time to realize the types of returns. And that's not our strategy.
0: Mm. Yeah. The reason why I said that is because I've talked to some, uh, marketing directors cmos and they mentioned like retail is also a way to get discovered um d2c and then also like for a newer brand it might be like a great strategy for providing that social proof like this is real like this is like a real brand um especially like yeah but by
1: being in like walmart or target or costco right mm -hmm. like whole foods i don't know if i i don't know if i were if by renting out a space in Soho and pays like thirty thousand dollar per month, right? like to just to create some ex, you know experience for maybe like hundred people per month, uh, and yeah. I just don't know if if that's the right play from my yeah. perspective. It it also comes down to what is the AOV of your product, right? If you're exactly if you're if you're selling like you know. 5,000 or $10,000 like high-end furniture sure maybe it makes sense but if I'm selling like 30 $30 like hydration product I you know it's it, I don't yeah. think it makes sense yeah yeah
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> um now you guys have been doing all this on a team of like like 13 people like you guys are yeah. running pretty lean based on like compared to like other consumer lean. brand yeah can you talk a little bit more about that
1: Yeah, our philosophy is, it may sound brutal, but before we hire anyone, uh, additionally in in each, each team, we would like, uh, you know, every team member to feel like, oh man, this is overwhelming. I'm like being fully stretched. And then we figure out, um, the timing of the hire, because like what we want to avoid is, like I said, we're very return investment focused. Um, We want to make sure that we hire the right person at a right time. And it's, we think it's really difficult to uh, decide that until the hiring manager, you know, goes through the, like the limitations around like, Oh, like I need to be able to do X, Y, Z, but I can't do it because I am doing ABC. And Mm -hmm. when I'm doing the ABC, like these are the most challenging things. I wish I have someone that is great at the ABC. Does that make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah that makes total sense um and yeah I, I think a lot of like and i've heard this before right a lot of brand just like kind of overhire, especially when they raise money they bring on a lot of people mm-hmm. uh and i think you guys are doing it right actually like still sticking to like what you did even like before raising money
1: yeah i mean i just think about it as like do you really need that extra hire to hit the metric that you need? Or do you really need that extra hire to hit the milestone you need? And we'll like stress test that. And until we get to a point where we're about (laughs) to fail that, you know, we we don't really add, add more team members. However, if someone who is like extremely qualified, a very smart person has the right cultural fit comes to us and you know, we could make, exception on hiring someone a little bit earlier than than Mm -hmm. our plan. But that's, that's how we think about it because um, it will like being stretched thin will give you the best idea on how you also want to design the interview process. Our interview processes are uh, pretty rigorous for almost all hires. We have a very practically like driven case studies and you know, those case studies will be designed from that, that experience when, when the hiring manager was really like stressed instead.
0: Mm-hmm. Now getting more on the personal level, I wanted to ask you like over the past couple of years since starting Hydrant, are there any like traits or personal routine that you've picked up that have helped you perform at a high level?
1: Um, I don't know if these are like helpful to <laughs> perform at high level per se, but I'll share like, what are the things that I learned and that I find it to be helpful? And then what are some of the routines that I go through for the reasons that I do it? So starting with like just routine, fact-based routine, I wake up very early. So I wake up at four 30 in the morning, um, because I want to work out five days a week. So I wake up at four 30, um, um, do my meditations and check my emails and um, and work out at five thirty in the morning. After I work out in the morning and come back, take a shower, and I squeeze in some uh, reading. So in this way, you know, every morning um, or almost every morning before I start my day, I can squeeze in meditation. I can read. Um, um I can also work out. So mm-hmm. I wanted to make those three things as my regular habit. Um, so that's, that's been super helpful. So I, I and I always feel like um, I'm not sacrificing my personal life because I'm able to squeeze those in. Um, mm-hmm. So from a mental health perspective, that's been tremendously helpful for me. Um, even though I have to go through the like ups and downs of startup, that, that's mm-hmm. played, that, that played a huge role. Um, so those routines definitely help in terms of like the traits. Um, I think the, the most important trait is um, having the interest to like know what you don't know. I think is very important. A lot of time you will just assume, you know, a lot or most, most of the yeah. things I think, um, having an interest or like proactive attitude to really ask yourself if you know certain things, or if you don't know certain things is really helpful because it will make you become more open-minded and then you would start asking smarter questions uh, more actively to either potential investors, advisors, and you'll quickly figure out what kind of people you need to surround yourself with um, to become really uh, smarter much quickly. I think, That helped us to be more open to bring on a lot of advisors in the beginning. When I looked at a lot of my other founder friends, they were very, very sensitive about dilution. So they didn't want to bring too many investors. They didn't want to bring too many advisors. Everyone was really stingy in the, the, especially in the earlier, earlier stage. From our perspective, like, you know, getting your first business right is, is really important. Um, and also not failing the investors that trusted you, right. As a first time founder was really important. So I think for us, what we cared about was how do we make sure that we minimize, um, wrong decisions. And that's probably by making sure that we learn fast and we become smarter quickly and we surround ourselves with people who know what the fuck they were talking about. So, um, kind of being curious and then and, and being proactive about asking yourself what you don't know. I think it's, it's really important. Mm. So that was like a yeah. long answer.
0: <laughs> no, that was a, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I remember when I lived in New York too, it was always fun to like wake up early, go to rumble boxing classes and then, uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, meditate and I, I think those are some of the things that you know working on yourself, right? Not only like on your business, working on yourself is really important. Well, Jay, thanks for being on the podcast. Now, how can people find you or hydrant?
1: Yeah, tell them to go to drinkhydrant.com or go to Instagram at drinkhydrant. They can, you know, find us. And for this podcast listeners, we create a promo code. Just type mastery twenty. Give you a 20 percent uh, discount on your first purchase
0: yeah that's awesome thanks for doing that we'll definitely leave the links in the description as well as the discount code now if you're listening on itunes or spotify there is one more question that i'm going to ask jay um, and that's going to be only on youtube thanks for checking out this episode of the personal mastery podcast if you're listening on itunes or spotify Please follow this podcast and leave us a five-star review. And as always, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Personal Mastery Podcast.